Hello, everyone, and welcome to Surveillance Report 31, covering the privacy and security news from the past two weeks. Yes, we missed a week, and I am sorry about that. I live in Texas, and if you didn't hear, we got slammed by a historic record-setting winter storm last week, which in other parts of the world would have been a normal weekend. But in Texas, our grid was not designed to handle that, so long story short, I had no power internet for almost a week, and thus I was unable to be present for last week's surveillance report, and Henry was also very busy. The irony is not lost on me that I approached Henry with a pitch of, hey, I haven't missed a single week of podcasting in almost a year, including holidays, so I can help you make surveillance report more consistent, and then less than a month later, this. At any rate, hopefully there will be no more interruptions in the future, and we can get back to bringing you weekly privacy and security news. This week, Henry is off on adventures, making the world a more private place, so I will be flying solo. I am Nate Bartram of The New Oil, and Henry will be back with us soon. This week, I want to remind you that Surveillance Report is listener-supported. Thanks to you, we are able to bring you this show without any sort of ads, sponsors, endorsements, etc., which keeps us as unbiased and free of commercial influence as possible. We have privacy-respecting donation options like Monero or mainstream options such as Patreon if you prefer that. And as always, if you are unable to contribute financially, that's totally okay. You can still help out by getting involved in TechLore's many open-source projects or spreading the word about privacy by sharing this episode or other links and pages that you found interesting and helpful. With all of that out of the way, let's go ahead and jump into it. Um, just wanted to chime in before Nate starts off this surveillance support that he did awesome, and I want to thank him for... Uh, uh, Picking up the torch while I wasn't able to help, uh, we will be pretty much trying to hit another surveillance port this weekend. So, yeah, I've been late on getting this published, so that's on me. Now, Nate also struggled because he was in Texas, as he just mentioned. So make sure to go to the new oil site and support them as well. Uh, I know I tweeted something that Nate needed some financial help because he was stuck and they needed things like water. Like, we need that to live. So if you have a few extra bucks, go help out Nate, right? Like, let's help him out. Thank you all for listening, and I'll see you hopefully this weekend for another surveillance support. Peace. We will begin this week with a single data breach from a Singapore telecommunications company called Singtel, who suffered a data breach of 129,000 customers. Compromised data includes birth dates, mobile numbers, and financial details such as credit card details. Both staff and customers were affected by this. The breach, interestingly, involved a third-party file-sharing system, Excellion, which you may remember from Surveillance Report 29, where we talked about Washington State's data breach, and I believe in Surveillance Report 28, we talked about the New Zealand National Bank security breach, all of which were thanks to that exact same program. So, yikes, and I assume we'll hear more about that in the future. Moving into companies, one of the big stories this week is changes to LastPass free account options. So LastPass, for those who don't know, is a very popular password manager. LastPass, like many password managers, had a tiered freemium business model where, you know, there's a free account that gets you some features, and then there's paid accounts that get you more and more features. Well, they have decided to restrict their free account. Free users will no longer have unlimited devices. They will have to pick one type of device, so either a mobile device or a desktop. From what I understand, you don't have to pick one device, but you will be limited to that type of device. So, for example, if I use LastPass on my phone, I can use it on a different phone or a tablet, but I can't use it on a computer. Additionally, email support will go away, so you will no longer be able to officially get support from the company. You'll just have to use, like, user forums and stuff. Understandably, a lot of people are pissed off, especially that first part. That is a huge hamstringing. I can't believe they're doing that. So the lesson is to switch to Bitwarden, which does not have that. And if they ever decide to add it, guess what? You can self-host. So 
problem solved. So we have a couple stories about malware and Apple's new M1 processor. So for those who don't know, Apple debuted the M1 processor back in November. The M1 processor is based on the ARM architecture instead of the Intel x86. I am not a hardware engineer. I don't know much about uh, microprocessors and their architecture and all that kind of stuff. But from what I understand, historically, computers have always used the x86, while smartphones have used ARM. It seems that in recent years, ARM has really come a long way, made a lot of improvements, and now it is a slightly less powerful but still fairly competitive version of x86. So basically, again, if I understand this correctly, this is Apple's new budget processor. Of course, being that it uses a completely different architecture, that means that malware will have to adjust in order to run on it. And we are starting to see that already. So the first one that researchers have disclosed is called GoSearch22. And it is a Safari extension that used to be on x86 and now runs on ARM. And it just does your standard, you know, harvest user data, serves you annoying pop-up ads, all that fun stuff. The second one was discovered by researchers from a firm called Red Canary, and it's really interesting. They've already found it on an estimated 30,000 Macs, but they don't really know what it does. It seems to call home about every hour to check for new commands, so they think that it's waiting on some unmet condition, you know, like maybe when a certain number of Macs are infected or a, a certain date, it's, it's really hard to tell. Again, that also works on the new M1 chip, and it uses the macOS installer JavaScript API to execute commands, which makes it really hard to detect because it basically hides in the background among other good things that your Mac is supposed to be doing. And it also piggybacks off of Amazon's cloud storage for reliability, which makes it extremely difficult to block because, again, AWS is so common that a lot of people use it for legitimate purposes, and that just makes it really hard to find. So remember, Macs are not immune from malware. This is pretty interesting how quickly criminals have evolved. Actually, if I'm being totally honest, I would have expected it much, much sooner. One more quick malware story. The MassLogger Trojan has been revived and reinvented in order to steal credentials from services like Outlook and Chrome. So this is a variant of a Trojan called MassLogger, and it is being used to steal credentials from Outlook, Chrome, Firefox, Edge, NordVPN, FileZilla, Thunderbird, and many, many others. But those are some of the more common ones that most of us have probably heard of. Currently, we have only seen it pop up in Europe, but apparently the targets are kind of rotating every month, so who knows where it's going to pop up next. The Trojan is delivered via phishing, as many viruses are, and it uses a complex series of files to obscure the code until it can finally be deployed. So they're really putting a lot of work into avoiding virus detection. As always, be careful what emails you click on. TikTok is going to pay out $92 million to settle a class action lawsuit over the accused theft of personal data. The lawsuit was alleging that TikTok was harvesting personal data, including facial information to further refine their facial recognition tech without consent. It also alleged that they were harvesting data from minors, which is super illegal in almost every country in the world. This is one of the largest privacy-related payouts in history. Of course, TikTok is estimated to have made $3 billion in 2019, and I don't know if you guys remember, it seems to me that they got really big in 2020, so I'm sure that number grew. So, you know, I'm sure this $92 million, huge loss for them. On the plus side, it is showing that at least something is being done about privacy in the public sphere. It's not much, but at least it's there. Somebody wrote an article called Why Richard Branson Gave 23andMe Billions to Go Public. And it just illustrates the value of genetic data. I know genetic data is becoming really popular nowadays. Companies like 23andMe or Ancestry.com, they sell these kits where you can swab your DNA and they'll tell you what parts of the world you're from, what uh, genetic heritage you have from different uh, ethnicities and countries and stuff like that. Unfortunately, these 
same companies will then turn around and sell the customer data to companies like Pfizer or to police departments so that, you know, they can be used to catch criminals. That's how they caught the Golden State Killer a couple years ago. You guys should look into that story if you're not familiar with it. Or, you know, the pharmaceutical companies will use it to develop new medications, new cures, which I I guess is all kind of great. But at the same time, they're not really being forthright with their customers over what they're doing with that data and why. Of course, there's always the ethical quandary of they're making money off of you when you already paid them for their service. So they're making twice as much money and they're not giving you any of it. And it's just a very, very messy thing. But anyways, if you're not familiar with the privacy implications of genetic data, I definitely encourage you to give this a read and maybe pass it around because I think, I hope we're going to see that this is the next big arena of privacy where people start like publicly voicing their concerns. Okay, let's move into browsers. We only have two stories this week. First up, some good news. Quad9 has moved to Switzerland to try and give their clients or their users more protection from the law or more legal protection, I should say. So Quad9, for those who don't know, is a DNS. They claim to be privacy protecting. They don't log. They're really popular in the privacy community. And just recently, they announced that they have relocated and headquartered in Switzerland. Switzerland and Europe in general are widely considered to have some really strong privacy laws, some of the best in the world. So this is a win for users of Quad9. If you're still in the market for a DNS, I think that definitely just gave them a good point that you should consider. Our second story is about the Brave browser. So for those who don't know, Brave browser offers a Tor mode where you can browse .onion domains and use Tor network traffic from inside the Brave browser. A researcher discovered that when users were using this mode, DNS requests were getting leaked because they were using public DNS resolvers rather than Tor nodes. So Brave has already fixed this issue. We will include that link as well in the show notes. Honestly, if you need to use Tor, just use the Tor browser. It's it's designed the way it's designed for a reason. They really put a lot of work into isolating each tab and making your browser look like every other browser. In my opinion, that's the best way to use Tor is to just use the Tor browser. Research. First up, there is a new type of supply chain attack that has hit Apple, Microsoft, and 33 other companies. A researcher basically showed a proof of concept that he could execute counterfeit code on networks used by big companies like Apple, Microsoft, and Tesla. The trick involves dependency confusion, also known as namespace confusion. Basically, if he gives packages the same name as other packages but marks it as a newer version, the companies who use those packages have scripts that will automatically download and install the code. The researcher disclosed this vulnerability, and it is already being mitigated. There were several options presented, and hopefully companies will take this seriously because honestly that sounds kind of scary another proof of concept computer stored encryption keys can be determined via side channel attacks this paper says that the attack is simple but explaining it is not and uh again this is one of those things where i'm going to do my best to explain this based on what i understand researchers were able to use the electromagnetic emissions that a computer naturally and automatically emits in order to determine information about the encryption computation that the computer is doing and thus, they are able to capture keys and other cryptographic information. So basically, whenever your computer does anything, it automatically emits electromagnetic radiation and noises and just, you know, things that electronic devices do. And researchers were able to very easily and very inexpensively build devices that could eavesdrop on those emissions and noises and analyze it to determine what kind of computation the computer was doing. So if your computer was decrypting something or anything like that or working on an encrypted format, they were able to capture that cryptographic information and 
either reverse engineer or capture the keys along with it. Again, I'm not this this went way over my head, but point being, they were for relatively cheap and easy, they were able to make a device that could just listen to your computer and automatically crack your encryption keys, which is pretty incredible. So at this time, the only real solution is a Faraday cage, which in my opinion is not a real solution. I personally live in an apartment and I don't think my landlord would appreciate me turning the study into a Faraday cage. However, the good news is I don't think that this will be an attack that the average person will see in the wild anytime soon. It's certainly something that I think a nation state would do, especially if the researchers say that it's cheap and easy. But I mean, for the average person, I don't think this is something you have to worry about, but it is incredibly fascinating. And the researchers did point out that this is something that can be fixed at the hardware level. So hopefully manufacturers will take that into account. And then last but not least, just a a quick article to throw in here, location tracking apps and privacy implications. Another study where uh, researchers got volunteers to download an app that tracked their location, and they just kind of talked about how it reveals so much more than you would think it does. It's not just about, you know, where I shop, where I go to church, where I work. All that information can be aggregated. Just location can be aggravated to pretty accurately guess your socioeconomic status, maybe your race, your family status, your sexual orientation, like all kinds of stuff that you may not necessarily be willing to hand over to total strangers and companies. So... Definitely give that a read. All right, let's move into politics. We will start off here in the U.S. where we have great news related to, I believe, last week's surveillance report. California is allowed to enforce net neutrality laws. So last time we talked about how the federal government had dropped their own net neutrality lawsuit against California, but the individual cases with the Internet service providers were still going on. Well, the case is still going on. It's not solved. This is kind of a slightly misleading headline. However, the judge has denied an injunction, which means that until the case is resolved, California can go ahead and enforce net neutrality. But until it's decided, net neutrality is in effect in California, which is amazing. Our second U.S. story is about how the LAPD requested ring footage of Black Lives Matter protests. This is probably not really news to anybody. We've talked in the past about how more and more police are partnering up with Ring. This story shows how that access can also be abused. So basically, these were documents that I believe were Freedom of Information Act requested where the, the they weren't like leaked illegally, but they were so heavily redacted that we don't really know what they were asking for. And due to the nature of criminal investigation, what likely happens is that when the cops submit these requests for data, they say, hey, we need every camera that was capturing this street between this time and this time. Since we don't know what they were asking for, it's highly likely that they were asking for hours of footage. And that means that there were hundreds, maybe thousands of innocent law-abiding citizens who got caught up in these data requests. This is really troubling because it is a proven fact that this type of panopticon surveillance, where people know that they're under constant surveillance, it has a very negative chilling effect on free speech and lawful protests. We have to make sure that there's a lot of oversight when it comes to this kind of stuff. I would prefer it not exist in the first place, but I think that's probably asking too much if we're being honest. Let's move overseas. Mexico is apparently a hotspot for kidnapping, And so they are considering biometric phone registries in order to help fight that, which is, of course, sparking privacy concerns. So, yeah, just to break that down, part one, like I said, Mexico is wanting to make cell phones required to be registered alongside biometric data in an effort to fight burner phones, which they hope will help fight kidnapping and extortion. The concerns are that this could lead to phone theft. There's a lot of concern that criminals are just going to start stealing phones or it's going to create a black market and it could cost law enforcement and the tech industry 
quote, hundreds of millions of dollars, unquote, to try and fight this. And then, of course, going back to what I said about the Panopticon earlier, now you've got law-abiding citizens who maybe don't want to get a phone because they don't want to tie their name to it. And, I mean, that would weird me out. Like, if my name is tied to my phone and somebody tries to steal it to kidnap somebody, like... And then it comes back to me. That's, yeah, that's really concerning. And then a quick trip over to Hong Kong. Some Hong Kongers are shunning the government tracing app over privacy concerns as new rules are rolled out at eateries. So Hong Kong is starting to relax some of their COVID lockdowns. As such, citizens are being encouraged to use an app called Leave Home Safe, which is the QR code contact tracing app. Fortunately, it is not mandatory yet. Apparently, many citizens are preferring to manually write down their contact info. Even more are preferring to do takeout so they can just avoid it altogether. You don't have to turn in any information if you just pick up your food and go. One customer was quoted as saying, I am worried about personal information, but since it's now a requirement and it's more convenient, I have no other choice. This is unfortunately always how crappy technology goes. I'd say there's generally two ways that crappy technology becomes ubiquitous for the everyday person, and it's either that it gets slowly introduced in a way that people don't notice it or it's this way where it becomes the more convenient option and people will always choose convenience. A lot of people seem to think that the government does need to be strict and does need to crack down on COVID and as a result they feel like this is the only way to do it and there's no other choice. Okay let's move into FOSS stories. I think the big story this week is Tutanota. So Tutanota for those who don't know is an encrypted email provider. They are kind of considered the main competitor of ProtonMail. Unfortunately, they have changed some of their premium features, and it has understandably ruffled some feathers from users. On the positive changes, business accounts will now include out-of-office autoresponds. You can, you know, when you go on vacation, you can set up that autoresponder. Somebody emails you, they automatically get an email back that says, hey, I'm on vacation, I'll be back this day. Here's the changes that are upsetting people. So for those who don't know, the, uh, the business model for Tutanota is freemium. There's a free tier, there's a premium tier, and then there's a business tier. Premium users will be losing calendar invites and multiple domain names. Those will become business features, so they will cost more. Now, to Tutanota's defense, they did admit that there's no real winning in terms of how to roll this, fee- this uh, change out, and they are offering prorated refunds to premium users who want to be reimbursed for losing those features like calendar invites. The reason Tutanota is doing this is they feel that this is the next step for them to continue to grow and sustain themselves as a viable business. And I'm not going to weigh in on that. I don't know their finances. I don't know if that was the right move or not. I guess that's just a, a, the big story is, you know, they're, they're making these changes and understandably some people are pretty upset. They're trying to rectify the situation for those users, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see how this plays out. Linux devices have a unique identifier called a machine ID. This is a a pretty self-explanatory article. Linux devices use machine ID, which is persistent, and understandably, anything that's persistent can be used to track your device. If you use Linux, be sure to follow this guide to learn how to randomize that and give yourself a little bit more privacy. Session, which is another popular encrypted messenger app, it's a fork of Signal that is supposed to be decentralized and use onion routing. They are putting their multi-device support back in beta. Several months ago, I think sometime early last year, it's been quite a while, Session rolled back multi-device and you could only use your account on a single device. There were just a lot of bugs and a lot of issues and they decided it was better just to kill it, rebuild it from the ground up and roll it back out. They have rolled it back out. If you're a Session user or if you want to help, it's in beta. You can go ahead and help improve it. There are still some known bugs, so be aware of that. But yeah, they're keep moving forward, which I think is fantastic. And last but not least, we have a whole bunch of updates for the following products, so I'm just going to list them off. If you use any of these products or services, be sure to update. Nextcloud 21, OnionShare 2.3, Tails 4.16, Tor Browser 10, and Firefox 86, which coincidentally includes a 
Huge improvement on cookie isolation in tabs. Super awesome. So yes, if you use any of those, go ahead and update. Last but not least, let's move into our Misfits section. The big story this week is that spy pixels in emails have become, quote, endemic. And that is from the BBC. So this story mainly comes from an email provider called Hey. Hey is allegedly a private email provider. They're not encrypted, but they claim that they're private. They respect your privacy. They don't read your emails, any of that. Well, Hey did some research and found out that Two out of three emails sent to its users contained a spy pixel. So real quick, I, I want to put a note there. That clearly shows that they are reading your emails. I'm not trying to pick on hey, but I just got to point that out. That shows that they're reading emails sent to their users. Anyways, spy pixels are also known as tracking pixels. That may be the term you're familiar with. That's the term I'm pr- familiar with. In the case of email, what it means is that there's a single pixel that uh, I do not understand the technical capabilities behind this, but I know it's a very common, very easy thing to do. There's a single pixel that when you load the email, that pixel gets loaded and it captures some information and sends it back to the person who sent the email. In this case, it could record things such as when the email is open, how many times it's open, what devices it was opened on, physical location based on your IP address. It's, you know, it's really based on the pixel and what it's set to do. We do have an article from The Verge that says how to stop uh, pixel tracking or uh, tracking pixels, excuse me. The short version is just set your email not to load images by default. 99% of the time, you won't notice a difference. Our next story is just a really fun one. There's really no lesson or or like, you know, this is big news you need to be aware of. I just thought this was really funny that listeners might enjoy. Dutch police have posted friendly warnings on hacking forums. This follows a massive takedown of the Emotet malware. I think we covered that a couple episodes ago. And basically, Dutch police went to a lot of uh, forums and stuff like that where they know that criminals tend to hang out and they posted messages warning criminals not to abuse Dutch hosting services because it is a quote lost cause. One such message ended with everyone makes mistakes. We are waiting for yours. So just, ah, that level of smugness is so funny to me. (laughs) Windows and Linux servers were targeted by a new botnet called Watchdog for almost two years. Watchdog is a botnet that does crypto mining and it's been active since January, 2019. It was written in the language go, which From what I understand, that means it can infect both Windows and Linux. The good news is that it does not appear to be stealing any credentials or any user information. It's just purely crypto mining. The bad news is, for those who don't know, crypto mining is very processing heavy. So if you are infected with a crypto miner, you're going to see probably a spike in your energy bill. You're going to see a reduced performance on that device. So if it's a computer, it's going to run slower if it's uh, like a router, then you know, you're know you not going to get your full internet speeds and stuff like that. And then last but not least, a really interesting story from Krebs on Security about Bluetooth overlay skimmers that block chips. I'm sure many of us are familiar with the microchip in your uh, debit or credit card. It's supposed to be more secure. And from what I understand, it actually is. It's more secure than swiping the card. And apparently that's true because criminals have developed a panel that they can put over the card reading point of sale system, you know, the, the keypad and all that. And what it does is when you try to use the the chip, it blocks the chip so that you're forced to swipe. The point is, they found a way, rather than to get better and steal the chip, they just found a way to force everybody to use the old system that's easier to steal. And then, of course, because the panel was overlaid over the original, they could also capture your pin. It could be installed in seconds. I mean, it, it's you should really click this article and look at it. It's really amazing. It just 
clicks right over the the existing pin pad and you'll never even notice it was there. In fact, the article says that the person who disclosed these, they were undetected for weeks. This is yet another reason to use cash. Cash is not just for privacy. Cash can also be a security strategy in this situation. Okay, that is all that we've got this week. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to learn more about any of these stories, we will have the links in the show notes, as always. If you are interested in learning more about privacy in general, please check out the Surveillance Report's parent website, TechLore, at techlore.tech, or my own website, thenewoil.xyz. Once again, a final thank you to our supporters who are helping us push this content out and keep consistent. Thank you for listening. Have a great week, and God willing, I will see you next week.